All right, let's get started this morning. I'm thankful for, I'm not going to focus on it this morning, but I'm thankful for the ways in which people have expressed their prayers and appreciations, different things these last few weeks. I, I waved at some guys at the back door a few minutes ago. You usually don't do that. But to some of my Spanish friends, I want you to pray for them today. Brother Browder's preaching for them. Guillermo is uh, finishing up a revival service. He's been preaching for Brother Jack Ramos in the Fairfax Baptist Temple. Their Spanish work there this week. He'll be back in a little bit later on, but couldn't get out of my chair the other day. Doorbell rang, and it was uh, Guillermo and Rob, and uh, they had been in contact with some of our Spanish folks, and they brought lunch to me, a Spanish steak. I'll stay home more often and certainly do that. But uh, pray for him if you would, please. I have uh, I've watched more church services in the 26 days that I didn't get out of a chair. For 26 days, it was sitting in the chair during the day and sleeping in the same chair as much as you could sleep at night. And you can't watch but so much Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> I will say that God has used the time to help me prepare some things, uh, some series of messages to think of our church. We've been through an exhaustive summer of trying to get to the place that we are today. But every drop of it is in vain. Unless we're the church. And this is not the church. Oh, there's fine-tuning still yet to be done in here. But these seats and this carpet and a podium and platform and all the things that you see is... It's not what God called us to do. Now, I do believe this. It's biblical to have a place that is honorable... Do you remember when in the Old Testament they built the temple and, and God showed up? You remember, they didn't put their second best and their leftovers into the temple. They put their best into it. And we've tried to, in this process, do our best for the Lord. But it's what happens after this. There's something that I see missing in every church that I have watched their services. And in every church, whether it's in the city of Richmond or around the United States, I'm seeing... Seats that are empty with a generation of people. I've watched some of the churches. City Baptist here in Richmond. Grove Avenue. First Baptist downtown. A little list could go on. I've watched some of those that are more well-known churches across the United States. And there's empty chairs. What's missing in most every church that I have viewed 
is a generation of people. 90% of the churches that I viewed, the members of the church that was very evident by the camera, were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. And we're missing at least two generations of people. Look around the room. Take an honest look. We'll get to the scripture in a minute. And this is all sort of preempt for what we're going to talk about in the next several weeks. But if we're going to reach, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. And do not think And do not come to me and say, preacher, you're getting ready to go contemporary. You're getting ready to go this. You change the pews to chairs. You don't know the heartache in making that decision. The church has to do something to reach a generation of people. And I'm not going to bring drums and all of that into this church. I will leave you before I'll do that. But there are some things that can be done that are righteous, that are holy, and that are godly that we're not doing. I mentioned an adult Sunday school class this morning. Stephanie Wesco's husband was martyred on the mission field eight months ago, and she went through traumatic change. Doug Carragher, our missionary to the Armed Forces Baptist Mission, who is a retiree out of the United States Army, knows what it is to serve, knows what it is to be in battle, and knows what it is to suffer PTSD, dealing with American soldiers, said the government's not doing anything except giving them pills and patting them on the back. The answer to their PTSD is found in the blessed Word of God, and I've got to do something about it. And so he wrote a, an entire program called, first of all, Wounded Spirits. Today, that program has developed in a way that it has caught the government's attention. And he has now been given, by internet, government access to counsel American soldiers who are still in Afghanistan. And so he's in counseling sessions with them. He goes into churches and he takes people who have some concerns. And and Stephanie went through his PTSD. He and Mrs. Carragher took the Wesco family under wing to try to bring them some healing. Began to work with them and she went through the program. And in a divine way, God said through all that you've been through in losing Charles. You can help other ladies. As of the moment right now, she's now a missionary with AFG, and she has been through the program. She's certified into counseling, and she's counseling 12 ladies right now with PTSD. And it's not just military. 
You know, that's something that if you'll take your part in this church, we can have Brother Carragher come. And he can sit down with us in this room the way it's designed. I want you to think of this in a, in a setting. We have some round banquet-style tables that make good classroom. And in just a few moments, we can arrange these seats around a classroom seating where you can take some notes we can educate ourselves in a program that we can reach people in our community who are struggling with stress disorders. There are people in this room this morning who are struggling with stress disorders. Families. We're going to be developing some things where we, one of the, one of the plans that I have, I have not put it, on the calendar yet we want to have some Christian family film nights let me pre-say this there are at least three collections of good Christian films and I cannot say that I endorse 100% of everything that's there but there's enough gospel and enough help in biblical films. One of the first that we're going to do because it's uh, many of you have already seen it but I developed a series of messages behind it challenging our families and facing their giants. And we're going to kick that program off with a family film night. And then we're going to come back in our evening services and we're going to look for eight weeks at the giants that families face. The cancer ministry, there is a, there's an announcement in the bulletin today about, and we want to help people in our church that have dealt with cancer, have overcome cancer, maybe dealing with cancer even right now. It's rampant. The patient has to deal with it. This week, our Hearts have been heavy. One of our former school students, a little girl three years ago, was diagnosed with brain cancer. Her funeral was yesterday and she's with the Lord. My wife and I sat with her sweet mother in the waiting room at MCV. She had been there weeks. I can't testify to you enough how many times in the time we spent about an hour and a half to two hours with her that day. And she'd well up in tears. I've Listen, I've not been there. By God's grace, I've not been there. And what that dear lady needed at times was just somebody to sit in a room with her. And not say, I know how you feel. Sometimes it's just being willing to sit in silence, to hold a hand and to pray. I want you to be finding your place in Mark chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to give you one more illustration. and I would love to do this myself, but it wouldn't work for me because I'm too identifiable. As I give the illustration, you'll understand. The pastor recently who... 
got himself a grocery cart and a sleeping bag. Picked up some junk things that most homeless people would carry in their shopping cart. And he put on a beard. And he uh, put on an old red jacket, had holes in the sleeves. And he parked himself near the entry of the church. In fact, his particular church has two other satellite churches in the town that they're in. And he said this, I wanted to know how our church was, would do in regard to loving others. He said, oh, I know my church loves one another. It's evident that our church body loves and cares for one another. But, but do we have the love of Christ? And so he parked his basket near the front of their church, the entryway of the church, where folks would must pass by. And the first few people that passed by, as in the story of the Good Samaritan, almost went to the other side of the road. They went on down the sidewalk and circled far enough around him that they didn't have to deal with him. I think that's the picture of many churches and many Christians today. We separate ourselves far enough from a problem that we don't have to recognize the problem. Several people came by in that form and fashion and then he went to one of the other satellite locations he set up the same way. After he had done this in all three of the locations of their church, it was time for Sunday services. And he would, when he came to the platform and to the pulpit, he came in his homeless attire. And he began to disrobe. And he took off his hat, his wig, his beard. And his people went, oh. And he said, I just wanted to test and see if our church has the love of Christ that the New Testament teaches. And he said, in one of the churches, it, he was very disappointed. But then they played other clips of people that came by. People that bent over that man and said, come on in and sit with us today. You're a visitor here with us today. Why don't you sit with my family today? Hey, we had breakfast on the way to church and we had some left that kids didn't eat. Here, how about breakfast this morning? Why don't you eat it and come on in? And he said, so many of our people passed the test. In Mark chapter 2 this morning, what is it that is keeping us from being a first century church? What is it that keeps many of us from having the love of Christ? I want to speak this morning from Mark chapter 2 on this. I want to tell you the problem. And I want you to see it in Scripture. 
the clay gets in the way. Now, if you would, in the book of Mark chapter 2, and I'm not real good at standing this morning, so I'm not going to ask you to. Would you pray together with us? Father, give me this time what I need. May this be a time of the filling of the Holy Spirit as not before. And make these verses of Scripture living to us. And help many of us to make the commitment today. Commitment to our church and to you. To get the clay out of the way. Bless the reading of your word we pray. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1 and again. He entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him. We know that there are four. Bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, I encourage you at that particular place to put the faith of the five. Not just the four, but there was faith in part of the man that was sick of the palsy as well, and we'll find it at his healing. These men did not get him to Christ and Christ save him because these men just simply got him there. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was certain of the scribes, I call these religious naysayers, sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They were thinking. They were coming up with reasons. They were excusing. They were reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it be easier to say to the sick of the palsy, number one, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or number two, to arise, take up thy bed, and walk. And here's the purpose. But that ye may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, and go thy way unto thy house. And immediately he arose and took up his bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion before. This passage records one of the great miracles of the Lord Jesus. There was a man sick of the palsy. There was nothing that could be done in those days. This was a disease that the doctors, this was an illness, sickness that the doctors had uh, no cure for. They had nothing that they could do for it. And uh, I've heard uh, preachers in this passage of Scripture before preach this, uh, salvation message and yeah there is a salvation message there 
I, I've heard, uh, and I myself have preached messages from this passage of Scripture and the importance of the four. And yes, there's, there's truth there. I heard one preacher that preached a message entitled, The Ten-Legged Man Meets the Master. And if you count up the four men, and well, you, you get where that came from. But here is the base of the whole story. These men wanted to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. One of the first services that I watched and listened in another church, the pastor preached a message on this. Desperation. How desperate are you? These men were desperate. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus, but they couldn't. The Bible calls it the press or the crowds of the people. To skip through some of it and get to the point of the message somewhat, the they were told that they couldn't get there. They couldn't get to the door. It was capacity room. And so they went up to the roof. There were two roof systems that were used then. There were beams that covered and those beams that came down. And they were crisscrossed with sticks. And oftentimes there would be clay put on top of those sticks. And then there would be some type of thatch or greenery that would be put up on those. And there was another in which the... Roofs that were used were a double-laid, what we would call maybe a terracotta-style roof. And it was double. These are usually more of a flat roof and could be accessed from the outside of the house. May have been the type of roof on David's palace that night when the Bible says that on the evening he was on the roof of his house. Regardless of which type it had here, it says that they took him there. And that when they had broken it up, both of these roof systems are made of clay. Before they could get their friend to Christ, the clay had to be broken up. I know I listened and I've kept notes and I've talked to people about the services here. One of the services here just a few weeks ago, you were asked to raise your hand if there's somebody in your life which you have a burden to see them come to know Christ as Savior. The question I want to follow up with that is this, how desperate are you? There are some folks in this room this morning who have children that don't know Christ as their Savior. How desperate are you to see those children come to Christ? Some of you have siblings and brothers and sisters that don't know Christ as personal Savior. Oh, we say we're concerned, but how desperate are we? To see them say. Some of us have folks that we work with. People that we know. Extended family members. Co-workers in the office. Neighbors across the way. And as Christians we say we would like to see them come to know Christ as Savior. But how desperate are we to see them know? Are we desperate enough to get the clay out of the way? Clay in the Bible is a reflection of the flesh. Do you know today who I have the most trouble with in this church? It's not John. It's not Chris. That's pretty close. It's not you. It's not, it's not the building inspectors. It's not the devil, though I like to say it is. The one that gives me the hardest time 
is me. Are we desperate enough to get the clay out of the way? Job says, thou hast made us as clay. He goes on to say in chapter 13 and verse 12 that these bodies are of clay. Isaiah 64 and Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18 is the beautiful story of the potter in the clay. And he didn't break us, but he remolds us. And so for just a couple of minutes, if we can, would you take note on this, if you would, please? Here's what I want to present to you this morning. When we get out of the way, when we get the clay, when I get out of God's way, what can happen? When they got on the roof, that's an unusual place, and they broke through, what was impossible for them to do became a reality. When you get the clay out of the way, number one, you can examine the person of Christ. You can examine the person of Christ. He becomes some things to you when you get the clay out of the way. First, he becomes discernible. As they stood on the roof, they could hear the voice of Christ. As they stood at the door, they might not even have been able to see Christ, but they could hear Christ. He was hidden from them. There was no clarity, there was no recognition, there was no perception of who he was. And nothing in our lives hides who Christ is as much as the flesh does. The flesh, the clay, shrouds us from seeing Jesus. What do you mean our flesh? My attitudes, my actions, my affections, my fears, my failures, my foolishness, my shortcomings, my greeds. My grudges, all of those are things of clay. My hurts and my hates, my worries, my wonderings, all of those things hinder me from seeing who Jesus really is. Nothing hinders my walk with the Lord like I do. If I'm going to see Jesus for who He is, if he's going to be discernible to me, I've got to get the clay out of the way. He becomes more desirable. When they pulled the roof back, when they pulled the clay back, they had a pretty good view of the Lord then. They could see Jesus. They couldn't just hear him, they could see him. And their souls began to long for, as they already had to get this one to Jesus, they were in this desperate spot and nothing will thrill the saint of God and the heart of God's people like seeing Jesus. We read in the Old Testament, I believe it's Isaiah chapter number 6, the prophet says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Even God's man if we're not careful, gets our eyes set on the clay. What Isaiah had done, Isaiah had gotten his eyes on the king, who was a good king, on an economy that was strong, on a government that was good, 
I'm not saying we have any of those things today. But they were good days. And his flesh looked at the flesh. And the king died. In the year the king died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I don't know your heart this morning. I only know mine. And as transparently as I can be this morning, my clay is my problem. Because I get my eyes set on so many other things. And I lose focus of Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth, any of you dealing with those, they'll grow strangely dim, less important, less in magnitude, in the light of his glory and his grace. We have to get our eyes off of the clay. My reasoning like the scribes did. You know, many of God's people today, Brother Crane, thank you for the Sunday school lesson this morning. He's a tremendous teacher. Many people, many Christians, have set aside the, the commission of God for us, the orders of God for us, because we've reasoned away in our minds like these scribes did. We've thought it away. I'm too old to witness. My health is too bad to witness. My job keeps me too busy to witness. Well, people aren't listening anyway. 2019 is not like 1976 was. And we reason away in our thinking. Because we put our eyes on the Lord. Listen, we live in a day of tremendous opportunity. The fields are white. Preacher, open your eyes. It's a dark day. But I'm light. We do live in a dark day. But God says we're the light of the world. The light shines brighter the darker that it is. Get the clay out of the way. Number two, you can enter into the presence of God. When we get ourselves out of the way and the clay out of the way, we can enter into the presence of God. These men were able to lower their friend who was sick. They were able to lower him into the very presence of God. I'm not have yet raise your hand this morning, but how many of you in your heart this morning, in your life this morning, there's someone that you would like to let down in the very presence of God? Because you know today that God can do for them what you cannot do. And may I say this about soul winning and evangelization? God does not require you to be fruitful. He produces the fruitful for fruitfulness. He requires that we be faithful. 
Well, I witnessed, I did this, I did this, and there was no response, so I quit. Your problem was you quit. When you're in the presence of Christ, first of all, you can discharge your burden. These men were carrying a man. I don't know what size he was or what his weight was, but they were carrying a man who couldn't do anything for himself. And they were carrying his bed. Let's see four of you men do that this morning on this church. I will not be the man in the bed. I'll let Brother Grant do that. Let's see four men join together to take a man in his bed on the roof of this building. It's a difficult, it's not an easy job. They had carried him from his house. And there were things that got in the way that kept them from getting him to Jesus. And they said, forget the door. What's the next entry? The roof. They were able to lower him right before the Lord. They were able to give the Lord their burden. When the clay is dealt with, we can get Jesus... We can get to the place of Jesus and we can give Him our burdens. The book of Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what, church? Rest. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7. Casting, casting all your care upon Him. Why? For He careth for you. Hebrews chapter 4, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It was in all manners tempted like as we, yet without sin. And then he gives us this invitation, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find grace and mercy to help in the time of need. These four men were worn out from the burden, but when the clay got out of the way, they place their burden in the presence of the Lord. When you get into the presence of the Lord, you can discharge your burden, but you can discover your blessing. Now Jesus looks up and he sees these men and what they have done to get their friend there. I will say this this morning, I'll back up, and if Brother Grant's on the bed and Rob and Henry and Chuck and Brad are carrying him up there, Brother Grant better be a man of faith as well. <laughs> and this is what I said when we read a few moments ago when Jesus saw their faith. I imagine this man who had never in his life taken a step. Couldn't get up and go to work in the day. Couldn't take care of himself. Couldn't provide for the needs of his life and the essential things of life. When he saw the desperation that his friends had to get him to Christ, his faith grew. Did you know that God cannot bless your life like He wants to until you get the clay out of the way? Break it up and get it out of the way. And when we enter into the presence of Christ, we discharge our burden, and then we discover the blessing that He has for us until the flesh is dealt with. And I hear 
in the realms that, of friendship and fellow pastors and social media and all these things. I hear so many talk, talking about revival. And you would say, when, when, when would God give revival? When the clay's out of the way. There's not, a, there's not a preacher in America that can preach revival. He can preach a good message. He can preach the scripture. But he can't preach revival. That's in the hand of God. And discover your blessing. We, if we don't get the clay out of the way, we can forget revival. We don't get the, to where the power of God is. We can forget the fruit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt, according to deceitful lust. Too many of God's people think they're okay. Well, the Crane's lesson in Sunday school this morning talked about what the Spirit wants to do. We've got to get the clay out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do what He wants it to do with us. Number three, when we get the clay out of the way, we can experience the power of God. That paralyzed man could not get to Jesus on his own. The clay had to get out of the way. And when he got to Jesus, he experienced the Lord's blessing. Yes, but he experienced the Lord's power in a twofold way. He first of all experienced his cleansing power in verse number 5. Perhaps his illness was due to sin, I don't know. But when the clay was taken out of the way, he was cleansed, he was forgiven. When we uncover the clay, and we do that in two ways, we get rid of the clay through confession. Through confession. I've told you, I've given you the illustration before with it, we no longer have it, but when we moved into the house where we live right now, in our bedroom, the bathroom is attached to our bedroom. Whoever owned the house covered one whole wall with a mirror. And I mean this mirror was at least four and a half foot tall and six foot long. There was never a time that you turned the bathroom light on and went in, the, in that room that you didn't see who you were. I'd make my way in there in the morning and turn the water on. My eyes still closed and familiarity knew where my toothbrush was. And get that big crank that Mrs. Crane gave me for my toothbrush, for my toothpaste dispenser, because I hate it when Sonia squeezes it from the wrong end of the tube. <laughs> I feel around and find it and put the toothpaste on, begin to brush my teeth and think, okay, I gotta open my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I would look and I'd say, oh my. And it wasn't a good oh my either. That's who I am. Do you know why men have a problem with God's word today? Because God's word's just like that bathroom mirror. We were going to paint that bathroom, fix it up a little bit, which we did a couple, maybe a year, year and a half ago. Can I tell you the first thing to go? I told Sonia, she said, you can paint whatever you want to. But that mirror's gone. We now have a mirror that's about this big around. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but 
That's why men don't like the Bible today. That's why men want to change the Bible today. Because the Bible is as a natural glass or a mirror. It reveals to us who we are. And men look into God's word and they see who they are. And rather than become what the Bible wants them to be, they change the Bible to what they want it to be. His cleansing power. Time-wise and physically, I need to finish up. It may be some great sin that's known only to you. But to ever get to where Jesus is and experience his power, his blessing, you better get the clay out of the way. It may be a sin that's very publicly known. It could be a sin of bitterness, lack of love for Christian fellow Christians, a lack of forgiveness for something or someone said or something done. But if you're going to get to Jesus, when you get to Jesus, there's cleansing power. Let me tell you the second power, and that is this, his changing power. Verse 10 through verse 12 talks about that. Jesus didn't just touch the man on the inside. He did not just forgive his sin on the inside, but he touched him on the outside. And back to what we were talking about earlier, we want to be able as a church to deliver the word of God that touches men's hearts, but oftentimes God uses the ability to touch the outside. Sometimes it's first. It's meeting a need of stress in someone's life. It's providing a meal when it wasn't asked for. The changing power. Jesus changes this man's life. And he came in being carried and he left under his own power. But if you would look back with me for just a second at the last verse of our scripture references this morning. Look at at what happened at the end of that. The very last verse of our text this morning says that they were filled with amazement. The world wondered. What had happened and how could this happen? When we have the confession and the repentance and the cleansing power that brings changing power, it changes the way we walk. It changes the way that we pray. These last four weeks, I've prayed a lot. And to be honest with you, I've complained a lot too. When we get to the place of change, we become powerful. We become a bold witness. It makes us vocal. It makes us vocal about having been in the presence of Christ. I challenge you to do this. Find one time in the New Testament where someone came into the presence of Jesus. And they left and their life hadn't been changed. I gave that challenge to one group and one came back and said, well, what about the rich young ruler? Do you realize that that, it is is thought that that rich young ruler became 
the ruler that lost everything, the rich man that lost everything, and some even believe that he may have been the rich man that was in the story of rich man and Lazarus. His life changed the wrong way. It'll fill us with excitement. I think that's what the world needs to see in us is a joy. I've preached that and taught that to you for, for months now. How sad it is to see Christians walk around with their chin dragging the ground because they're so overcome with everything they've set their eyes on except Jesus. We have to get past the obstacles. We have to get past the people. The four could not change this man sick of the palsy. They could not change his condition. But they knew who could. Some of you who have family members and those family members are lost. Can you do anything about that? No. But Jesus can. You have friends and family members who need something that you can't do for them. But God can. How desperate are you to get them to Jesus? I want you this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. This morning, a, not a strong salvation message, but if you're here and you're unsaved, your life will never change like it will change when you get to the presence of Jesus. If you're here and you're unsaved, why don't you come this morning and allow some of our folks to take the gospel of Christ and bring you to the place that you know Christ as Savior. All the efforts that we've done to enhance the house of the Lord will do nothing unless you and I get the clay out of the way. And I want you this morning, if God moves in your heart, if God has touched your heart, if you're in a desperate place to get somebody to Jesus, if you're in a desperate place to see the power of Christ, to be in the presence of Christ, to experience the blessing of Christ, or to drop your burden, I want to encourage you to use the altar. That's where the people met God. And get the clay out of the way.